0: Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB At-Bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep
2: left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game.
0: Subscribe to At-Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
2: In Philadelphia, the, uh, the Tom Brady of radio retirements, Ray Dinger. With us this morning, Ray, uh, I will have to take a picture. Kyle, do me a favor. Just come in and take a picture of, of all of this because Ray's got five yellow legal pads, six magazines, newspaper clippings, <laughs> uh, press, uh, oh, everything. everything. All right, here everything. I come. Media guys he has got the whole thing. <laughs> all right, uh, let's let's uh, let's do the scene center, Mike, because you've been out there all week. Uh, I know mm-hmm. it's, it's hard To cover the team as incisively as you during the regular season, access is limited. But set the scene. Give us your brilliant observations from the Grand Canyon State.
0: Well, let's look at this from two perspectives. One, the team, and two, the fans. So, I was saying to somebody the other day, the team seems very uh, quietly confident to me. Uh, If you guys remember back five years ago, before the, the Patriots Super Bowl in Minneapolis... There was an edge to that Eagles team. It was the whole underdogs thing. It was going against Belichick and Brady. You had Alshon Jeffrey guaranteeing that the Eagles were going to win the game. Uh, there was a bit more of a chip on the players' shoulders, I felt like, at that time than there is now. Definitely get the sense that they just feel very good about their chances, that they know they're a good team. Uh, they got here on merit, and uh, they're willing to go out there Sunday and kind of let the chips fall where they may. In terms of the town of Phoenix itself, I, I and I know you guys have been talking about this a little bit. I know Glenn and I have spoken about this on the show. Uh, it's, it's different. Um, it took a little while for people to get out here uh, to see more and more Eagles fans. You started to see them Thursday and then yesterday throughout the city. I think that's a function number one of how expensive it was to come out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people waited till the last minute to to come on out here for the game. I also think that because it's Phoenix and the weather is beautiful and the waste management open, the golf tournament is going on, <laughs> people are more spread out. Uh, you know, I tell this story all the time, but back in Minneapolis, Ray and I did uh, back when it was still on the air, Philly Sports Talk on Friday afternoon from the Mall of America. And there were 200 people there in the rotunda of the mall watching us do that show. And most of them were raised groupies, to be quite honest.
2: <laughs> um, it was this, so
0: you're the saying damnedest- the
2: town was filled with 70-year-old women.
0: It's the damnedest thing I have <laughs>
2: ever seen, Glenn. Um, but people
0: were more concentrated. There were fewer places to go, honestly, because it was so damn cold. <laughs> you couldn't go anywhere except the mall, and you didn't want to walk around outside. So... Uh, a couple of factors there have made it a little bit different, but definitely the excitement is building.
2: It will be interesting to see tomorrow when the game starts if you get the 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 sound of the Philly crowd as you did in Minneapolis, as I remember back in Jacksonville, uh, as Eagle fans are prone to do, traveling to games. This was, as you mentioned, Mike, an amazingly expensive ticket. I mean, I looked at some stuff I wrote about it earlier this week. It's like $10,000 between the hotel and the airfare and the ticket and everything else. So I don't know. I hope that we're going to get those people. Ray you? let me turn to you and just say it's. I, I, I am delighted today to have both of you guys here. It's this is, this is a pleasure for me and I presume also for the listeners. Ray, you've covered 39 of these. I'm glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Today's the day before. Mhm. What happens today? What are they th- what are they thinking? What are the players?
1: What are the coaches? What's what happens the day before the Super Bowl? <laughs> well, there are many there are many varied stories about the day before the big game. Yeah, some um, not so good. <laughs> um I'm the one the one that I, that I remember best was Doug Williams on the day before his historic game when he was going to be the first black quarterback to start a game in the Super Bowl. Um went in and had root canal surgery the day
2: before the game. What? Doug, wow. Doug, I guess necessary. Doug I mean, Williams. Not optional. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, it, was,
1: it was an emergency thing. I mean, it was that bad that they said, we, we got to do this right now. So he had root canal the day before he went out to play the biggest game of his life. And, of course, then he goes out and he has the MVP performance. So I would think that's an extreme case. I wouldn't recommend that across the board. Um, but, you know, Mike was referencing the uh, the last Eagles Super Bowl in Minneapolis. And I was very um, – I was very curious to see, uh, to, to kind of gauge the emotional readiness of the Eagles team when I got to Minnesota, because I had been through it with the Eagles in New Orleans, the Vermeil team for Super Bowl XV. Uh, and I saw how uptight and stressed out that team was by the end of the week. Uh, and it concerned me going into that game. I still to this day think the Eagles were a better team than the Raiders, but they certainly didn't show it on game day. Uh, and I really think a lot of it had to do with just their mental state going into the game. They were just really they were really wound tight and I kind of wanted to see where the Eagles were in Minneapolis before they went out to play the Patriots and When I got out there and and Mike described it very well the ev- everybody was sort of con- everybody was sort of congregated in the mall of America and the eagles hotel the eagles had a were staying in a hotel that was connected to the Mall of America. So you, there were Eagles players and their families all over the place. I mean, everywhere you turned, you're bumping into Brandon Graham or, or uh, you know, Jason Kelsey and their families and, uh, and everybody. And the players just seemed so loose and they seemed so happy. And they were really, really enjoying the moment. And when I saw Seth Joyner out there, I mentioned it to him and Seth said, hey, man, these guys can't wait to play this game. Uh, and it just it just sort of reaffirmed my feeling. You know, I think the Eagles are going to pull this off. You know, I just I, like on Friday, after seeing what I saw and talking to Seth, I became more confident that the Eagles were going to win the game, and they did. Now, Mike's out there, so he's been able to see these guys and been to the press conferences and stuff, but from what I can see on television, uh, the interviews I've seen on television, I mean, Nick Sirianni seems to be handling it really well, uh, seems to be having some fun with it. The players seem loose. It seems like they're enjoying it. And from, I mean, I'm I'm judging it from a distance. Mike's closer to it, but it seems to me like they're in a pretty good place. I think that they, they look to me like a team that's ready to play. Mike,
0: yeah, I agree with that completely, Ray. Uh, there's there's no sense amongst the players or Sirianni or any of the assistant coaches, and that's been one of the benefits of this week. Is while access is limited, you do get to interact and interview. All the assistant coaches on the team, which you don't generally get to do during the season, it's very rare for that to happen. So, you know, there have been I've done sit downs with Shane Steichen and Jeff Stoutland, and a little bit with Jonathan Gannon, and to a man, they are none of them are betraying any kind of nervousness or concern, any of the tightness that Ray mentioned leading up to the eighty eighty one Super Bowl. Uh, It feels very much like the entire season has felt if you've been around the team. So I think that that bodes pretty
2: well. Do you sense a difference from five years ago this week to now this week?
0: Like I said earlier, I think there was an edginess Mm -hmm. uh, to the players back then because they embraced that underdog role so much. I do think they felt like uh, going into a game against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady... They really felt like nobody thought they would win, Uh, and of course, they're playing with their backup quarterback and a second-year head coach, Uh, and, and to me, that game stands out in so many ways, not just because the Eagles won, but how little the national media, if you want to say that, and even the Patriots themselves knew about the Eagles. Ray, I'm sure you remember this, too. I remember that one moment in that game as the Eagles were lining up to do the Philly special on fourth and goal, and... Uh, Deion Lewis, the Patriots running back, can't believe that they're going for it on fourth and goal. And if you had spent any time watching the Eagles that season, you shouldn't have been surprised that they were going for it in that situation. That was their M.O. all year. And it spoke, I think, to how little people really understood what that team was doing and how it was doing it. I'm not sure you have that issue this year. I think everybody acknowledges how good they are.
2: Okay. That leads us into what we're going to do all day, which is the matchups. And the first one is the matchup of the coaches, which is a critical one. And I want to talk about that. Uh, Nick versus Andy. Uh, Let me just give you guys some numbers. And I'm, most people have probably seen these by now. Both teams, 16 and three this year, both teams scored 546 points. Right. It's pretty impressive. Both teams, six All-Pros, including a Kelsey brother and their quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, both teams, the number one seed in their conference. So, let's talk about, let's compare and contrast the two quarterbacks. Uh, Shil Kapadia said it really well this week in a piece that he did for the Athletics, saying, if I'm handicapping the game, I want Andy for the two weeks leading up, I want Nick for the three hours during the game. Mm-hmm. Ray... You give me your assessment of the two coaches
1: and how you grade that tomorrow. Well, I thought that uh, we've seen Andy go through this before. We've seen Andy in big games before. Uh, and we've seen him be outcoached in big games before. But the experience is a factor. The, that he's been through this before is a factor. And also, don't everybody's focusing on the head coaches. Don't forget about the coordinators. You know, the coordinators are going to have a lot to say about this game. Uh, and Sirianni is new to this, as are his two coordinators. Um, the Chiefs, on the other hand, have Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator who's been through this with Andy before. Uh, and on the defensive side, you got Steve Spagnuolo, who's been through it multiple times. Uh, he was with Andy in the Super Bowls la- uh, last couple of years at the Chiefs. Before that, he was the defensive coordinator for Tom Coughlin's Giants team that took down the unbeaten Patriots, also the highest-scoring team in the league. And I thought I thought Steve Spagnuolo coached a masterful game in that game. He was one step ahead of Tom Brady the whole day, and that ain't easy to do. Uh, and then Spags, of course, was on Andy's staff when they went to the Super Bowl the first time. So the defensive coordinator is going to have a lot to say about how this game goes. On the Chiefs' side, has had a lot of experience in this game, so that weighs into this too. But the thing that I thought was interesting about what Nick did yesterday um, – was that he actually addressed the idea of halftime with his team. Mm-hmm. The fact that uh, this is a longer halftime. And he actually interrupted their practice yesterday and took them into the locker room. And they didn't, he didn't keep them in there for 30 minutes, but he did for about 10 minutes and just said, look, this is not going to be the normal halftime. And I thought, you know, that's smart. Because I have seen so many coaches in this situation, in the Super Bowl, and I understand the message they're trying to send, but they're sending the wrong message, and they do it all the time. But what they try to tell the players is guys, this is just another game. It's just another game. It's just a football game. You've been playing in them since high school. You've been playing them in college, in the NFL. Don't make this bigger than it is. It's just another game. To which I say, That's, you're wrong. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is not just another game, it's different in a million different ways. You know, your pregame warm up is going to be different the whole week leading up to it is going to be different. Halftime is going to be different. And I think that and I think the coaches that have performed well in these games have been honest with their players the whole week and tried to prepare them for the fact that it's going to be different. Rather than tell them it's going to be the same old thing and then they get out there on Sunday and all of a sudden, pregame warm up, you're trying to go back and field a punt and you're bumping into the cameraman from Telemundo. Yeah. You know, and at halftime now all of a sudden you're you're sitting in there for what feels like an hour. And you walk out to play the second half and you can't see because there's all the smoke on the field from the fireworks. You know, it's not like any other game. So I think you have to prepare your guys for that too. And I think it seems to me that Nick is aware of that and has already done it. And I think that's a good thing. By
2: the way, the, the whole story you're telling takes me back to Super Bowl 39 when the Bingo. Eagles came out of this for the, the second half just so, so flat. So, so flat. Mike, coaching, who's got the advantage? You know, I I really agree with what Sheel said
0: and I just want to run down three reasons why I think he's he put his finger right on the the issue here. So, after at the end of Andy's first season as the Chiefs head coach, they made the playoffs. They played the Colts in Indianapolis. They had a 20 point 28 point lead in that game and ended up losing 45-44. Mm. In 2018, they had a 21-3 lead on the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs and ended up losing 22-21. Last year, the Championship game, they had a 21-3 lead on the Cincinnati Bengals, yeah. ended up losing 27-24 in overtime. To me, I agree with what she'll said in that I feel like Sirianni will adjust in-game more adeptly than Andy will. Uh Andy will win the first couple of weeks he he he's the preparation king but if things start to go off script so to speak I feel like Sirianni will adjust having said that I I offered those three examples because I'm really curious to see what happens if the Chiefs take an early lead it's if it's let's say 14 to 3 or 21 to 10 or something like that uh will the Eagles stay the course you know there've been situations in this season where they've been down early they were down 14 nothing the Jacksonville Jaguars and came back and won and you do have that history with Andy uh that his teams can get off to big leads and he struggles to protect them so uh yeah I think it's a it's a fascinating matchup it's crazy to think that you have that the Eagles are going against probably a top 10 all-time coach in league history uh and their head coach is in his second full season yep and you feel like they might have the advantage but I think in some ways they might
2: do you know how many times this year the Eagles had to call a timeout before or take a delay penalty because the play was not in? Jeez. How many, I'm going to guess zero. Zero.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I, I can't remember one.
2: How many times did we have that during the Andy years? It
1: seemed like at least once a game. Right. Now, I
2: don't watch the Chiefs enough to know if that is as big an issue now as it was, and maybe some of that was on Donovan McNabb. Maybe, although it happened with other quarterbacks here. Uh, One of the smarter things Nick did, and I know he was criticized for it at the time, I thought it was great, is when he gave over the play calling so that he could focus on the big picture. Right. And I think that works. Mm -hmm. And sometimes during games, we all know the TV shot of Andy behind the enormous diner menu uh, full of stuff with his mustache deeply in it as stuff is going on. And I, I, I think I agree with what Sheil said, what you said he's probably done more, knows more, schemed more over the last two weeks than Nick is capable of at this time in his career. But tomorrow, in a tense moment, in a close game, i go with Nick. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Yeah. Let's think in a call here. Let's go to Jared in West Virginia. Morning, Jared. What do you think? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey.
3: Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Go ahead. Okay, good. Uh, well, first of all, let me say I – uh, living in West Virginia, I didn't get to have WIP growing up. I was a subscriber to the Eagles Digest, and I loved uh, listening to or reading Ray's columns that he would put in there. So I want to say uh, hi to Ray.
1: Nice to uh, nice to talk to you. Thank you, thank you for thank you for reading and following over the years.
3: I found the uh, WIP on the Radio dot com app back in seventeen, right before the start of the season. So I got to ride through that whole season, which was. Pretty awesome. as sure. yes, it was. Um, what I was going to say about the game is I'm really concerned. I know that Andy's going to try to get the ball out of Mahomes' hands as quick as possible. I'm concerned with um, him passing to the running backs, McKinnon and Pacheco uh, mm-hmm. especially. Uh, we're going to have to uh, get to him really quick, uh, and our, um, our cornerback can handle their assignments. But... Our safeties and our linebackers are going to be tested.
2: Well, I will just tell you this, and thanks for the call, Jared and Joy. Before we started the show, Ray was talking to Tom Kelly, who did the previous show, as he was walking out, and Ray said, you know, the concern I have, and we'll get into this as we do the other matchups. I don't want to jump the gun too much, but you said the concern I have is that Andy uh, doesn't have the wide receivers, and what he's going to do is he's going to go underneath and throw the running backs, which yep. is what the <laughs> caller just said, which is seems a smart strategy, but also one that Nick will
1: be anticipate. You hope so, and you hope that Jonathan Gannon's anticipating it, because the wide receivers on, on the Chiefs team are not really going to beat you. They'll make, they'll make a, a catch or two, a play or two, but they're not going to beat you. Um, I'm sure the Eagles' preparation for the last two weeks has been largely about trying to take away um, Travis Kelsey, and Andy, of course, knows that. So he expects the Eagles to come out with you know some kind of bracket coverage, shifting coverage underneath, over the top. I mean, they're going to be all over Kelsey. So I don't think he's going to be trying to force the ball into the wide receivers. I think what he's going to try and do is he's going to come out and he's just going to dink and dunk it. I mean, he's going to screen it. He's going to throw a little flat passes. He's going to throw checkdowns. And Pacheco and particularly McKinnon are very, very good at that. And that's one area where I don't think the Eagles defense has been great this year. I mean, if you look back at the, at the amount of yards after catch the Eagles have given up to running backs, especially those kinds of players, It's a concern when you've got a guy who's really as good and elusive as McKinnon. Um, The premium is going to be get the ball out of Mahomes' hands fast, and you can do that and get it to McKinnon and still get a big play. All right, we'll deep dive into that and all
2: other aspects of it as the show goes on. I am just delighted to have Mike Sealski out in Arizona, and at some point today we've got to talk about the piece. Uh, Mike's done some great work this week. The piece you wrote about the Eagles almost moving for people who don't remember, which was... Thirty-eight years ago, right? Thirty-eight plus, yeah. December of '84. Yeah, and and Ray's uh, part of that story is great because Ray was sleeping.
1: Yeah, (laughs) like like most of my career, I almost slept through it. I
0: I did talk to Ray early in the week, and uh, and Ray actually was quoted in a terrific piece. By Sam Farmer of the L.A. Times on the very same topic.
2: So yeah. looking forward to discussing that. We'll get into that as we go on. And as we said earlier, Hall of Famer Joe Klecko will join us. But we're going to break it all down, every position matchup, every aspect of the game in the show with our predictions. It's the day before the Super Bowl. Mike Sealski in Arizona. Ray Dinger back in studio. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.